urgent message from the brigadier. He's away, isn't he? Investigating some scientists. Yes, well, he wants us to join him. Miss Shaw and the doctor will report themselves forthwith to Wendy Moore. Attend a briefing meeting. My dear Miss Shaw, I never report myself anywhere. Particularly not forthwith. Thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Caleb. And I'm Mac. And this is a Doctor Who podcast. Oh, I did it again. And this is a <laughs> podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And today we're talking about Doctor Who and the Silonigerminians. <laughs> you were doing so well up to a certain point. <laughs> Doctor Who and the Silurians was written by Malcolm Hulk, was directed by Timothy Combe, and produced by Barry Letts. It aired January 31st, 1972, March 14th, 1970. Malcolm Hulk, I, like, I know I've said that this is the episode I remember being my favorite classic Who episode, but even if I didn't think that, we are in good hands with Malcolm Hulk because uh, he co-wrote The Faceless Ones, which was on your top five, and The War Games, which was on my top five. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right, all right. So he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. Can I say this? I think more than any other episode, this is the one that I've been looking forward to <laughs> the most. <laughs> just, just because I want an excuse to watch it. <laughs> Fair enough. Let's let, no no no. I don't I don't think it's fair enough. I need to hype it up a little bit more so you can be disappointed when you finally do watch it. <laughs> Max like I've been so excited. This is the one I this is the whole reason I started the podcast. I was like, I mean, it was all right. It was okay, I guess. Yeah, this is this is one of the few times in the show's history in which it like a title of an episode acknowledges Doctor Who, which is apparently was an accident. <laughs> they put it as Doctor Who and the Silurians as just like a placeholder title and nobody really noticed when they put up the titles <laughs> and then they published the episodes and they're like fuck <laughs> oh my god we're so fired <laughs> we're so fucking fired so we can also call it the Silurians but who cares <laughs> but who cares it's Doctor Who and the Silurians but uh Caleb given everything you know about Doctor Who and given the title of this episode, Doctor Who and the Silurians, what do you think this episode's going to be about? Well, I'm glad you gave me that tiny piece of trivia because it confirms my suspicion that this is an episode of Doctor Who with an extreme typographical error. Because it's not Doctor Who and the Silurians, it's Doctor Who and the Cylons. And it's a crossover episode with Battlestar Galactica. A show I'm not entirely sure existed yet. It's definitely out in 1970. <laughs> definitely. Is that it? Is that your entire yeah. prediction? <laughs> That's okay. my entire prediction. The doctor is going to fight Cylons. All right. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you now you're wrong. <laughs> but... These robots have blue lights for eyes. Oh, my God. I actually never watched Battlestar Galactica. I've heard it's good. I've seen some of the like the newer series. Newer came out in like 2000. But there was a 1970s era Battlestar Galactica. Was it out in 1970? I don't know. It came out in 1978. <laughs> so yes, definitely what this episode is about. Yes, obviously. And if not, it's the episode that inspired Battlestar Galactica. That guy watched this episode and said, I can do that. Listen. I just admitted that I knew I knew absolutely nothing about Battlestar Galactica. I have never watched a single episode, and I can still confidently, one hundred percent, say that you are still wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going. <laughs> And we're 
back. May have just been a couple seconds for you, but it was two weeks for us. What the fuck, Caleb? I'm sorry. I, I, I'm a busy man, and th- this episode did not motivate me to keep watching it. This one is entirely your fault, because I'm pretty sure I was done watching this seven-parter like two or three days after we recorded the last one. <laughs> yeah. Matt kept asking me, he was like, when do you want to record? I was like, eh, let me finish the episode. I was like, okay, two more days. Okay, actually three more days. But yeah, uh, I have I have said in the past and even on this very podcast episode that this is my this is what I remembered being my favorite Doctor Who episode. And while I stand by that it is very good now that I am not a stupid high schooler, I do have some critiques about it. (laughs) I think the main thing that I remember the most from this episode is the ending. Yeah. I really like the ending. (laughs) But yes, uh, before we start, there are a couple of trivia notes that I need to say. Uh, This is the first appearance. (laughs) This is the first appearance of Bessie, the doctor's (laughs) car. (laughs) And shock of all shocks, Doctor Who and the Silurians is uh, the first appearance of the Silurians. Oh God, there's going to be more. There, there might be. There might be a couple more. <laughs> First implies not the last. <laughs> I mean, I was, I was kind of going back and forth. I was like, should I not list this as a piece of trivia? Because then it, the fact that they, uh, there are future appearances would be a surprise. But I was like, no. Because I always I always notate when something is the first of something. So gen- general thoughts before we start. General thoughts. Um, I don't dislike this episode. There's actually things I like a lot about it. It is just entirely too long. Yes. Entirely too long. Which, surprise, I say a lot on this show. <laughs> you do. But I definitely think it's justified here because... There's basically an entire plot line that I think you could just take out and no one would notice and Mm -hmm. have this be four episodes. Mm -hmm. We'll get to that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, take us away, Caleb. Take us away. Take us away on a magical journey. Let me let me let me set the scene. As always, my opinion on a lot of things is very clear in the actual way I describe how things go down. The episode begins with two men exploring a cave, but it doesn't take long before one of them gets got by some lizard creature. Cut to the doctor working on his sweet new jalopy when he is rudely interrupted by Lethbridge Stewart to come to an emergency meeting at Wenley Moor. At the Moor facility, the team meets Charles Lawrence, the director in charge of the burgeoning nuclear power program and home of the proton accelerator called the Cyclotron. However, the station has been plagued by power failures, and several accidents have slowed down the station's productivity. The doctor visits Spencer, one of the men from earlier, who survived the attack. The man appears to be mad, and after surviving an attack from him, the doctor says his mind has regressed by millions of years to a more primitive state. The Brigadier and Lawrence get into a dick-measuring contest about whose authority trumps whose, and that is basically their entire arc this story. Liz and the Doctor discover that there's been an alarming amount of neurotic episodes since the facility began operations, and the Doctor decides to head down into the caves to find some answers. He isn't there long before he is confronted by the same giant lizard from before. I love at the at the very top of this episode when the Doctor is working on his car, and, uh, and uh, he says, I was wanting to take her out on a trial run for a minute, and then he holds up a rubber pipe, and he's like, I wonder what this is for. And then throws it over the shoulder. <laughs> I'm like, uh, the doctor builds cars the same way I build Ikea furniture. <laughs> <laughs> that was probably important. Too late now. Oh, well. I do love his car, though. Who would drive that car? <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. It's got a bright yellow color. It's very fun. Yes. It matches his fucking magician's outfit. <laughs> then we go to, uh, what was the... Wenley Moore. Wenley Moore. Okay, yeah. I did not catch that. Uh, we go to the uh, the Wenley Moore company, estate, factory, it's setting. We go to the Wenley Moore setting, and um, we get to meet all of the major players for this for this little play that we're about to put on. And man, Mr. Lawrence is just a nasally piece of shit that I want to punch in the face and just keeps that 
at the same level throughout this entire story. I hate him and want to steal his lunch money. Uh, yeah, he definitely has to say, who's the guy from the Ice Warriors? You know who I'm talking about. I know who you're talking about, yeah. Uh, that fucking guy. He has that guy energy, (laughs) where the moment he's on screen, I was like, oh, Jesus Christ, will someone kill this guy already? (laughs) It takes him way too long to die. Entirely too long. (laughs) Uh, one of those ones where, like, okay, it's obvious that this guy's gonna get it, but my god, it takes too fucking long, and at that point, it it doesn't even feel good. You're just like, oh, finally. Holy shit. (laughs) This wasn't even satisfying. I just... I'm just glad it's finally over. <laughs> so yeah, so Lethbridge. I don't. I don't understand why everyone loves Lethbridge Stewart. He's just a guy. I don't know why he's there. I don't know why either. I'll be perfectly honest with you. He is a like iconic fan favorite character, and I don't know why. He is the fucking blandest, most mayonnaise ass character <laughs> that has been on this show. He's got a mustache that's something he carries his little crop thing tucked under his elbow or under his armpit (laughs) yeah that's something he's not around like as long as jamie fucking no one's around as long as jamie but he he is in a lot of episodes so i guess just because he's around a lot people cling to him but i'm like uh, i don't know maybe i'll change my tune by the end of this, but I don't know. I'm kind of. I, d- I, I doubt it. I'm quite bored by Lethbridge Stewart, and because also, like, I feel like his arc the past two episodes has basically just been playing politics. Basically, I mean, he literally spends this entire arc arguing with this Lawrence guy about who's actually in charge when the unit is around. Yeah, he spends a lot of it behind a desk. Mm-hmm. He doesn't do a whole lot, at least from my memory. I again, you have a much more recent. Uh, viewing of this than I do. I watched this like two weeks ago. You watched this like two minutes ago. So, <laughs> hey, hey, hey! I only watched two episodes today. Oh, my bad. <laughs> so I don't really remember Lethbridge Stewart doing a whole lot in this story, but maybe I don't. Maybe I'm not remembering it correctly. I don't know. We'll find no, out. No, he just actually didn't do a lot. One thing he definitely didn't do that I was kind of expecting him to. So. In my acting classes, one of the things that uh, I was taught was kiss or kill, which is if you are an actor and you are like, you couldn't stick a ruler between your face and another actor's face, you were either about to kiss or you were about to try and kill each other. Kiss or kill. That's the only reason you should ever be that close with someone on stage. And there's like the major who's in charge of security Mm -hmm. at this factory and there was a moment where like they were both about to go out the same door and then they stopped in the doorway and started talking and like it was it was so zoomed in and the faces were like an inch apart and so my only note was just kiss already jesus christ (laughs) you know you want to (laughs) look at that mustache how can you not want to (laughs) so listen the doctor go see spencer one of the guys from the beginning who survived this lizard monster and he's like crazy and like drawing on the walls and tries to choke out the doctor. And the doctor's conclusion is the, without a doubt crazier than the fucking guy who just tried to kill him. It, it absolutely is. And before we, <laughs> before we get to that, I just want to appreciate the fact that um, the doctor who works at this facility tells the doctor, this isn't going to get confusing at all, uh, that this patient is prone to hysteria, hallucinations. Uh, PTSD and fits of violent rage. And the doctor is like, cool, I'm a poke him. <laughs> <laughs> He's like drawing on the walls and the doctor just like kneels down right right behind him and like pokes him and says, hey, what's that one? And the guy's like, ah! <laughs> Attacks him. <laughs> and then the doctor like frees himself from him and this exchange happens. The doctor then lives in the doctor again. He says... Oh, he's just frightened, that's all. And Liz says, well, what made him like this? And he says, some kind of fear. I'm like, thank you. Thank you so much for your startling input, Doctor. What would we do without you? Yes, some kind of fear is what made him frightened. Thank God you're here. (laughs) How could we have ever figured it out? (laughs) Before before we get uh, there, though, we do meet uh, Dr. Quinn and Dr. Meredith. um, Oh, yes. In like the... I'm not entirely sure what this room is supposed to be. 
but it's like where they control how much nuclear power is being produced i guess yeah like the generator room i guess yeah um dr quinn was very odd he it felt like he was positively thrilled about everything like he always had this stupid smile on his face regardless of what they were talking about including the multiple deaths that have happened that's just scientific progress (laughs) baby (laughs) and like i understand because later we find find out a little bit more about dr quinn's motivations but he just seems a little too enthusiastic about all the shit that's going down and then uh dr meredith who seems to be dr quinn's main primary assistant she and the doctor have this exchange which i love she says i take it you're another member of this unit team and he says yes depressing isn't it (laughs) (laughs) so that was funny uh he does have a lot of good quips this is a very quippy doctor i enjoy it yeah i really have nothing else to say about this episode once Uh, i got to the episode the episode i was like hmm yes that was a thing i watched (laughs) uh i will say that when the doctor goes down uh into the caves I'm genuinely surprised that even with the spelunking equipment, he's still not wearing his cape. For some reason, I thought he would still have his cape on. I mean, why wouldn't you? It's not functional any other time. Why would you wear it at a not functional time? It just felt weird seeing this doctor without a cape. We see him without a cape a lot in this story. Spoilers. That is true. And my last note is, oh no, it's the T-Rex from the Children's Museum. Run! <laughs> yeah it's real it's real doofy looking <laughs> it is on level with that weird dinosaur meme costume it's like the tyrannosaurus that has like a little window on it that people oh, do yeah. like <laughs> dances and shit with yes it's very similar <laughs> it's a mix of that and animatronic not the worst reptilian we're gonna see though no no it's not <laughs> We'll get to that. <laughs> On that note. <laughs> On that note, episode two. Episode two. The monster lumbers toward the doctor, but goes away when a beeping sound seems to call it off. When he returns to the facilities to describe what he saw, he is met with skepticism. The brigadier organizes a group of unit soldiers to explore the caves, and they insist that Liz stays behind. Sorry, Liz, but this is going to happen to you a lot in this story. <laughs> A soldier sees a strange man in the caves, accompanied by a strange beeping sound, before he is attacked by the lizard creature. The doctor finds blood on the cave floor from where the soldier shot at the strange man and takes it for experimenting. Back at the base, he wonders why the creature killed a man before, before but spared the soldier. Cut to the moorlands, and a strange creature emerges onto the surface and roams around. It stumbles into a barn and rests in a pile of hay. Quinn, one of the scientists from the facility, is in the cave system and sneaks into a hidden room. He has a conversation with a mysterious voice and is told he must find the wounded one of their kind on the surface if he wants to learn any of their secrets. Lawrence and the doctor argue over closing the base. A farmer walks into his barn and is killed by the creature, and his wife is driven into a frenzy after seeing it. The doctor and the brigadier go to visit her in the hospital while Liz stays on the scene to investigate. When the wife tells them the creature has never left, the two men race back to save Liz, but it's already too late as the creature overpowers her. When the doctor is being cornered by this T-Rex, I mean, unbeknownst to us, the Silurians, uh, use this device that, like, causes this beeping, and it, like, draws the dinosaur away. The beeping sounds exactly like a squeaky hinge, and I thought it was about to be revealed that this actually was an animatronic T-Rex. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would have been something. It would have been something, and... More than the explanation we get about what they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers, if you haven't watched the episode with us, uh, this is basically the last time you see one of these things. I mean, it's not the last time you see it, but it is the last time it's relevant to this story. Yeah, the only other time you see it, the doctor's like literally thumbing behind himself, being like, oh, that must be what that thing is, and then leaves. Yeah, the closest thing to an explanation we get is that it's like, a pet of the Silurians that they just like kept (laughs) since, since, you know, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth. I do like uh, the fact that he goes up and basically reports what he saw and said they saw a dinosaur. And uh, he implies that he's seen dinosaurs before. And then one of the scientists or was it the major? I don't remember somebody from the, somebody from the plant says that ah yes you must have seen it in a museum and the doctor is just like offended 
that this man <laughs> thinks he's only seen dinosaurs <laughs> in a museum. Who is this man, and why is he employed in my presence? <laughs> and then the soldiers go down, and uh, the soldier says, You there! Halt or I fire! When he sees the Silurian. And then the Silurian stands perfectly still. And then <laughs> he fires anyway. <laughs> ah, classic military type. Surrender and die. Don't you mean surrender or die? Not in this city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so the doctor has given his report, and then this other soldier, I think, has given his report. I, f- I remember correctly. I don't remember if he dies here or not. But anyway, they find out about uh, the existence of another creature. And the brigadier says it's a bit hard to accept one monster, let alone two. And I'm like, brigadier, did you not found this organization after fighting the yetis did you not then go on to fight the cybermen and the autons why are you so skeptical i don't understand your motivation (laughs) who are you who are you why are you here Spoiler, Lethbridge Stewart is a robot <laughs> whose memory is continually dumped. Maybe. And they make the note that, man, the English countryside is just so nice. I want to visit the English countryside at some point in my life. It's just so it's just so pleasant because we're do- having like some establishing shots before how we quaint. get to the barn. I was like, oh, how quaint. Yes, and then I start sipping tea, and then I remember that I hate tea, and I spit it out. And then I remember... Because, like, my thought was, like, was it kind of pans on to, like, the house and the barn? <laughs> I just keep thinking, Jesus Christ, ceilings in Britain are so fucking low. <laughs> I can't help but feel I'd be claustrophobic. Are British people just shorter than American people? <laughs> I don't know. It makes me feel like it, though. Uh, I follow some British YouTubers, and you see their rooms in the background. I'm like, Jesus Christ, you live in a closet? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they might make the argument of, like, an argument against american excess what do you need with all that room ask them about their energy prices <laughs> we'll see who's out on top then i've got the big room and the cheap bills now this is a farmer in the countryside and i can't really do like a bumpkin british voice not sure if i can really pull that off so uh you'll have to excuse me while i do my bumpkin american voice but uh, one of my uh one of my uh, notes is Doris Doris there's a guider in my barn because <laughs> he walks in and sees the Silurian and I'm just like if he were in the American South that's exactly what the reaction would be I also couldn't get over his two-pronged pitchfork it did seem a little impractical and it seemed like there was supposed to be a third one there I just I don't know uh, uh, like the whole time he was on screen I just kept looking at the pitchfork it's like that's not right that's not what that's supposed to look like it broke off the last time he attacked someone it must have it must, the last gator in his barn. And then they go their separate ways, and they're interrogating uh, Farmer Cletus's wife. Or was it? The, I don't remember. But they find out that he died of heart failure. And uh, they say, he died of fear. And I'm like, would you go so far as to say it was some type of fear, Doctor? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, the guy at the hospital. And you say he died. Okay. He died of what? Of fear? Uh, what type? What type of fear specifically? Doctor, would you care to elaborate? And then my last note is, oh no, he lightly pushed Liz off to the side. Now she is surely dead. Yeah, it's definitely the wimpiest little push ever you've ever seen out of a rubber costume. It does not feel like she was attacked. It really does feel like she was just lightly pushed over. <laughs> my final note for this episode is Doctor Who invents monster fucker porn. Again. <laughs> Again, yeah. <laughs> We saw the tentacles in the last episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got no other notes. This episode took entirely too long to do anything. Yep, I'm ready to go. Episode 3. The creature escapes as Quinn continues pursuing it. The doctor and the brigadier manage to find Liz, who was only knocked out by the creature. Quinn arrives, and the doctor is suspicious of his behavior and grows more suspicious when Liz notes the scene is miles out of his way. The doctor and team track the monster, aided by the beeping noises that seem to grow stronger the closer they are to it. However, the beeping suddenly stops when Quinn finally captures the creature. The doctor and Liz break into Quinn's office and begin looking around, suspecting he has betrayed them somehow. Miss Dawson, who's Meredith, comes in and admonishes them. 
but lets slip that Quinn knows something they don't. However, she forces them to leave. At the center, the doctor confirms that whatever's causing the station's troubles is coming from the caves. But Lawrence is still mad he isn't in charge and refuses to let anyone do anything about it. The doctor goes back to Quinn's house to find the man dead. He finds a receiver that emits a beeping noise that lures the creature back into his office. I'm pretty sure that I, I still, I would say I still love this story. I will be the first to admit that this is a very slow build to <laughs> anything of real substance happening. <laughs> you can't hear it, but I'm aggressively nodding right now. They can feel it. Um, yeah, a huge portion of this story is dedicated to them looking for the monster. There's like a helicopter sequence. And mm-hmm. and it's not until the end of this episode that we actually see a Silurian. I think there's something to be said about like like a tension buildup of like finally getting to see the monster. Do also think that there's something to be said about hurrying the fuck up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, come the fuck on. These are already slow. It's already seven episodes. It's a balancing act, and it's kind of very much tipping it onto one side at this at this point. If I was editing this down, one thing that I would probably cut would be the scene in the last episode where Quinn went down into the tunnels and, like, had his talk with the mysterious voice. Mm-hmm. Because then we wouldn't know for a fact that Quinn was, like, up to some shit because then uh, we would see the scene where Quinn is in the barn talking to the doctor and Liz and he's like trying to get some information about what they know and he's like oh no 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 this was this was on my way and I, I noticed some commotion so I just wanted to see if I could help out and then he leaves and uh, Liz is like he this is way out of his way he's lying and like that would make some ooh intrigue what is Quinn up to? Why is he here? Um, but, like, we saw him down in the tunnels. We know why he's here. <laughs> he's looking for the thing. Also, all, everything you learn in that scene in the caves is kind of reiterated by Meredith when they're in his office. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, he's like, wow, like, they're promising him all this information. Well, who's promising him that? Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. I will say this, though, because... Liz is offering a lot of input in terms of uh, in terms of the investigation, and she does a lot of the work later in this story. Correct me if I'm wrong. You might you might think differently. It honestly feels like Liz is much more of an equal partner to the Doctor than kind of any previous companion. Am I wrong in thinking that? It really does feel like she's. No, I don't think you're wrong because like I definitely think that they collaborate a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they collaborate a lot more in a way that they tried to imply with... Oh, fuck, I'm already forgetting her name. Oh, no. Zoe. Zoe, yeah. And even Vicky. Yeah, they tried to do it with Zoe, but... But here, it's a lot more natural. Uh, the the problem is, is, like, even though Liz is, like, very assertive and very capable and does figure stuff out, it's really weird to watch the story, like, actively sideline her and everything. Yeah, very true. Um, because I think it's in this episode, they're like, we're going to go down to the caves. And Liz is like, well, I'm coming with you. And the men are like, no, no, no. Yeah. They, they tell her to not, they're not, that she's not allowed to go down to the caves. And she, uh, says, no, fuck that. I'm going with you. And then the doctor convinces her to stay. I forget what, what it is he says, but like, he basically says, no, they're going to need a ton of help up here they're gonna be useless without you i need someone i can trust up here and she's like fine yeah which i guess once per episode would be fine but it does happen a second time it, it happened it happens a couple times and i i feel a certain kind of way about liz speaking up for herself and being assertive about what she is capable of and willing to argue her points but then the doctor saying no and she going okay it fe- it makes me feel a little a little weird <laughs> yeah i agree i 100% agree can't wait i can't wait for the episode where he's like now liz i think you should do this and her just go fuck you uh, <laughs> then, he, then she throws acid in his face <laughs> and then i make the note of all right we can stop it with the beeping now no <laughs> and, and anytime you want to stop i'm okay with that <laughs> 
This episode is 25 whole ass minutes of beeping. <laughs> Which is impressive because it's 23 minutes long. <laughs> <laughs> then at a certain point I was just kind of watching because I forgot to take notes. I will say I really, really, really like the scene of the doctor visiting Quinn's cottage. It felt like a Columbo kind of scene because he's just like walking in and talking to Quinn about and like clearly trying to get some information from Quinn. And it feels like he just did like a, oh, one more thing. How much do you pay for heating? Because you have it up really high right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I thought that too. Like when that scene was going on, I was like, this is Columbo who and I'm here for it. Yeah, (laughs) I really like that scene. And then Quinn gets got. Quinn gets got. I'm not entirely sure why. Was it explained at any point why the Silurian killed him? Quinn has a conversation with Meredith Dawson about how he got it. And she's like, well, are you going to give it back to the Silurians? And he's like, no, I'm going to torture it for information. Because, like, they're just going to make me do something else. Okay. So he thinks that he can get information out of this one rather than being strung along by whoever is giving him orders. And then, like, when he was dead, I was like, eh, yeah, he bro- the, the, the thing broke out. I just assume violence is, like, the solution everyone jumps to. So, <laughs> so you didn't see any problem with it. Yeah, I was like, yeah. Quinn got a guy. He held the thing for too long, and now he's dead. <laughs> Which, my, the, the, the penchant for violence is something we'll talk about later. <laughs> I'm over here like, why did he kill Quinn? And you're over there like, why didn't he kill Quinn sooner? <laughs> <laughs> why didn't he kill Quinn the moment he arrived? Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm ready to move on. All right, episode four. The doctor tries to reason with the creature and asks if it's a Silurian. The creature rushes out and he worries that unless the two races reconcile, they will destroy one another. Baker, the soldier who was attacked before, sneaks back into the caves and is ambushed by Silurians. Liz and the Doctor also go into the caves to explore and stumble on Baker being interrogated by the Silurians. The Doctor tells him they will go for help, but tells Baker to comply when they ask him questions again. Back at headquarters, Lawrence is still trying to get Unit removed from the facility. Meanwhile, Unit is arguing for more reinforcements. The Doctor doesn't believe reinforcements are necessary because he believes they can reason with the Silurians. When he tells them about Baker, Stuart is determined to use force against them. The Doctor decides to sneak back into the caves to warn them. The Doctor is captured and argues with Baker when a young Silurian comes in and tells him they have destroyed the soldiers. So we didn't bring it up last time because uh, the Silurian's look was still kind of in shadow. Mm-hmm. But at the opening of this episode, you really kind of see what it looks like. And it is the, the fucking doofiest <laughs> lake monster ripoff I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, it's very it's very lake monster. It's very um, the creature from the Black Lagoon kind of, but like brownish. It's got these eyes. It's like a it's like a prototype for like a Star Wars costume. Yeah, and just as cheap. It has eyes that don't blink, and I it was the only thing I could look at every time they were on screen. Well, it is reptilian. My wife owns two snakes, and I know for a fact they don't have eyelids. So, I don't know. It kind of makes sense to me. <laughs> it doesn't look that. Maybe it's bad costume design. Does not look that reptilian? They look more like fish to me. They definitely look amphibian, but they're supposed to be reptilian the doofy ass dinosaur from before looked more reptilian but yeah their their whole shtick is that they ruled the earth when dinosaurs were around they were more reptilian and then they thought the earth was about to be destroyed so they or like a meteor was about to crash into earth so they all went down into hiding or down into hibernation and then the earth wasn't completely destroyed and their cryogenic thing malfunctioned and they stayed asleep for too long and they woke up to all the fucking monkeys being in charge all these fucking monkeys so at the at the very well i'm not sure if it's at the very top but near the beginning when the uh the major is being kept in the sick bay and he asks the sergeant to like help him get his his jacket on the sergeant the sergeant who's watching over him and the sergeant comes in and like helping out and then the major just like does the piddliest little chop (laughs) the tiniest (laughs) little eh (laughs) <laughs> and the sergeant just the goes down like a sack of potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, it was great. Because like this, this officer in charge of guarding Baker is just a doofus. Yeah. And then after he gets knocked out, he's brought to the brigadier, uh, and the brigadier is like scolding him, <laughs> and he's basically like, "Am I gonna get fired?" <laughs> Oh, jeez, sir, I'm really sorry. And then the brigadier doesn't even really punish him. What does he do to him? He like. I- 
I don't remember. Basically, just gives him another crappier job. I was like, I feel like someone this incompetent maybe shouldn't be on a super secret team designed to deal with alien threats. Maybe get someone like half day competent. <laughs> just, just a thought. Maybe. I mean, you need someone on the front lines to absorb bullets, I guess. I guess. <laughs> but yes, once they uh, find out about the Silurians and they everything, the Doctor says that the caves should not be invaded by thick-booted soldiers. Uh, unfortunately for the Doctor, that's literally all the Brigadier can do. <laughs> so he's like, I'm sorry, I thought you said more thick-booted soldiers. The Brigadier's looking down at his plans and it's the meme of like the red button and it says invade and the blue button says invade. <laughs> the Brigadier <laughs> patting his brow. And the, the Doctor's trying to make this argument of don't kill the Silurians, there's still a chance for peace. And like, I, I agree with him, but he says the line, but he's talking to Liz, he says, he says, it didn't kill you. It didn't attack me. Don't you see? It only attacks for survival. And I'm like, yeah, except like it did kill Quinn. And it killed that guy before. From the doctor's perspective, he doesn't know that Quinn is, was like interrogating him. Mm-hmm. This guy does have a body count. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's one of my critiques is, uh, Boy, honey, I wonder whose side I'm going to be on at the end of this episode. <laughs> yeah, but, uh... <laughs> that was one of the main reasons I was excited to talk to you about this one, because I'm like, you and I are going to have such a diverting opinion <laughs> about it. <laughs> but the Doctor has absolutely no reason to think that the Silurians have peaceful intentions as of this moment. Like, actually really no reason. The, the best he could do is, well, it didn't kill everything it came across. <laughs> Which could be settled down to A, an accident, or B, sloppiness. <laughs> and and to be fair, he knows that the Silurians are like, they've been asleep for so long, and now he's up on the surface. The guy's pretty much, this Silurian guy is like a scared animal. So I can understand why he's like, okay, 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 it's fine. It's fine. You're, you're confused and you're scared. It's going to be fine. <laughs> And he's just <laughs> trying to keep peace. <laughs> and I know you're like, uh, not nah, fucking kill the lizards. <laughs> I don't even necessarily kill the lizards at this moment. Like I, like, I don't have an issue with, like, the way he reacted to the Silurian at first. It's more of, like, them being, like, again, or him being so adamantly against, not, nah, it's not them for the invasion part at this point. The fact that he's, like, so adamant that the Silurians don't necessarily want violence, that they need to work out what the Silurians want. I'm like, eh. But what if they just want violence? But he doesn't know that that's what they want, though. He want, it's Salamander all over again. He's like, I don't want to kill them unless I know that they should be killed. <laughs> <sighs> I just, I don't know. I don't really have any major issues with the way the doctor handles anything. I think just philosophically, I disagree with him at the end. <laughs> yeah, we made this comment a couple times in uh, Spearhead, but um, the editing these days this this specific era is just way quicker because he like he's talking to liz and he says i'm going to go warn the silurians and then it cuts to the doctor cut to the walking silurian. into the silurian lab he's like and now i'm here <laughs> that's something i appreciate though they can get a little more aggressive with the chopping yeah but i'm but like because like i noticed a couple times too i was like wow that was actually just a quick transition to the thing they said they were gonna do I love that. <laughs> they just need to do that more so that this four-parter isn't spread over seven episodes. Yeah, yeah. And then he argues with Baker a lot about, like, the merits of, like, whether or not they should be complying with the Silurians. And then, like, the young hotshot Silurian comes in and he's like, I killed all your friends. Yeah. <laughs> On the note of spreading too far and choppy editing, I'm ready for episode five. Episode five. The young Silurian is lambasted for his brashness and eagerness for violence. The leader of the Silurians also reveals that the young Silurian trapped but did not kill the soldiers. Back at headquarters, Liz has convinced Masters, the big weak scientist, of the Doctor's findings. They are told by another unit soldier that they have lost contact with the Brigadier and his men. The Doctor is freed when he tells the Silurians what type of weapons the soldiers have. The Silurian reveals they once ruled the surface but went underground when a small planet was on course to crash into Earth. The Doctor informs them that the small planet is now the moon and that they're catastrophe never happened. The leader agrees to free the soldiers and talks about and talks more with the doctor. The young Silurian gets a bacteria from their scientist with plans to use it against the humans. When he learns of the young Silurian's betrayal, the leader gives the doctor a vial of the bacteria to research and sets him free. The episode ends with the young Silurian killing him and taking his place. The leader is not the doctor. <laughs> from this point onward, and this is this is one of the th 
I think, the strongest points of this story. This story is very character-driven. It seems like every character in this story has a very strong stance on what to do and what should be done. I think everybody has... You understand everyone's perspective, even if you don't necessarily agree with it. The one exception I'll say is Liz, who seems to be just, eh, whatever the doctor says. Yeah. Uh, which is very unfortunate. Also, I'm very annoyed that the Silurians don't have names. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it also made it very confusing very quickly. It also doesn't help that... Okay, so I have done mask and mascot work before, and it's not easy. And the actors in the Silurian suits are trying their damnedest to try and convey what they what they mean and feel while having these rubber suits that are not giving them any sort of emotion to be able to convey sometimes they succeed sometimes they don't (laughs) i do not envy them for the roles that they were cast in since they are a reptilian species it makes sense that it would they would have some difficulty like discerning one from another that they would look very similar to each other but yes, as you said, it's very easy to mix them up and they don't have names, which makes it even more difficult. At first, I thought it was the soldier, like the young one that was taking the doctor out of the cage. But then, but it actually was the leader and it took me a minute to realize that. And then my sub note is, this will also mean that Caleb will probably be on the side of the people who are in favor of genocide. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm just saying. Can one of them just wear like a, a little hat or something? Or gosh, Caleb, I don't know, maybe like a sash or two. Maybe that would help them oh. discern between the the characters. Well, you see, my sash is this way, so I'm this one. This is a joke by how much about how much you fucking hated the sensorites. Uh yeah, I was about <laughs> to say the for as much as I don't like the Silurians, they are better than the sensorites. <laughs> I know we touched on it in like episode one or two. I don't remember. But one of the trapped soldiers starts drawing on the walls because he has this caveman regression thing. What the fuck is this plot? <laughs> like, what? It, it, it is literally never important. It just kind of happens sometimes. Yeah, it, it's like being exposed to these prehistory creatures has somehow caused some of the humans to start acting like cavemen and that becomes relevant literally never never why is this a thing i feel like you could have had that one guy at the beginning like be shaken and like ha- like have ptsd about the about the seeing his friend die and then seeing this dinosaur thing without making him <laughs> turn into a caveman and then <laughs> just the soldiers are stuck in this area and they're running out of air and then just one of them starts fucking drawing on the wall and i'm like what is this <laughs> i have some notes in your script here's my first one and then celerian like infects major baker with the, the virus bacteria the thing. virus and the music during major baker's escape seems to be heavily using the kazoo for some reason <laughs> and i'm not sure why <laughs> I gave up on the sound at a certain point in this episode. I do that in a lot of the episodes, but in this, not this episode, it was a couple episodes ago, but uh, in this story, I was watching it and it was when they were chasing down the Silurian, like the beeping just kept going the whole Uh, time. Yeah. I was laying in bed watching it and Kylie just kept turning around to look at me. (laughs) Uh, And then she'd go back to work and then she would look back again when the beeping started again. (laughs) I was like, yeah, they get paid by the sound. (laughs) But yeah, and then the infected Major Baker makes his way back up to the surface, and uh, a lot of human stupidity ensues. <laughs> stupidity that before COVID, I would have said eh, it was a bit of a stretch. Now it doesn't feel like it's stretched far enough. <laughs> yeah, honestly, the virus takes too, or the disease takes too long to spread. There's a lot that happens regarding the virus that I'm like, oh, this hits way too close. <laughs> Yeah, it's next episode that I have I have some comments about Dr. Lawrence. <laughs> On that note, though. On that note, let's do this. Episode 6. All hell breaks loose as the disease starts to spread. Masters manages to slip by security, and the disease is quickly carried to the whole of Britain, and people are dropping like, fl- and people are dropping like flies. Finally, something is fucking happening in this story. 
The doctor and Liz work hard to find a cure, and she begrudgingly joins the brigadier to pursue masters. A squad of unit soldiers heads into the mines to deal with the Silurians, and it doesn't go well. After a time, the doctor finally develops a cure, but now, but not before Lawrence comes down with the disease and goes on a tear and dies. However, they don't have long because the Silurians are on the offensive. The doctor tries to write down the formula for his cure, but the young Silurian melts through the wall and uses his glowy eye of doom on the doctor. One thing I will say that is that I appreciate that they're not assuming the doctor is immune. Mm-hmm. Because they could have easily done that. He's like, oh, no, 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 I'm a Time Lord. There's no way this will infect me. But Liz is like, no, fuck that. You have no way of proving that you're immune to this. Take the fucking, <laughs> take the fucking vaccine. <laughs> this episode description was notably shorter than my other ones because this episode spends an egregious amount of time chasing down masters. Yeah. Like, literally half the fucking episode. <laughs> I love masters perspective here because like he's like okay i need to i need to head back into london and get in uh get in contact with geneva to get the backup that the brigadier is requesting he's like yeah i know everyone needs to be quarantined i know i was told that but that doesn't mean me i only inhaled a couple of times while baker is in the room i'm probably fine yeah it would be dumb pre-covid yeah and then Dr. Lawrence comes in to talk to Liz and complain about uh, unit overstepping their bounds and just is just an anti-vaxxer for a couple of minutes. Just he says that uh, you have no proof about that this disease even exists and how this vaccine will has some side effects that is hampering the workforce. And uh, Liz is like, there is literally a man who died from this disease like two doors over and dr lawrence is like he could have been sick before you don't know and then like oh <laughs> i was waiting for him to say that the injection will probably cause autism i was waiting for it <laughs> i was waiting for him to say it and like all anti-vaxxers dies of the disease the vaccine was trying to prevent <laughs> it's like as he's collapsing it's like hey can i have that injection now fuck you lawrence you shouldn't have lasted this long god damn his skin is like falling off at the end it's it's kind of gnarly and frankly not enough (laughs) and i like how they're trying to get like the police to hunt down masters and how one of the lines they're like yeah he's uh he's white about average height mid 30s or so short brown hair and they're like do you have any fucking idea how many people that describes you just described half of fucking britain my man (laughs) yeah i just really like the idea that the casting call was for the most boring man alive to play masters (laughs) it's so funny because i'm sitting here and i'm trying with all my might to recall masters even in the episodes before this and i can't i didn't even remember he was there until i read the wiki i think he had like parted hair or something (laughs) i don't know oh man distinctive feature (laughs) and glasses let's not forget the glasses and then i'm like so humanity's dead right i mean they have officially failed at this quarantine and people are dropping like flies in london and international flights are starting to head out from london and like we're dead like the humanity is gone silurians (laughs) like we lost (laughs) Man, you gotta admire Master's drive and dedication because he is still, he has sores all over his body. He is collapsing. He can barely breathe and he is still on his way to Geneva. He is walking towards the building and I'm like, dude, take a sick day. Like, (laughs) (laughs) bro, just call it in. Just call. (laughs) Just call your office and be like, hey. Tell the Geneva people I said this. Like, go to a phone booth or something. I know they all have cell phones. It's fine. You can't call collect from Wendley more. And then the doctor and Liz are working really hard on this vaccine. And um, my my main complaint here is that they have to have more scientists working on this, right? It really feels like a lot of work to put on two people. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone's sick. Uh, I mean, maybe, but... <laughs> <laughs> but... The doctor does figure it out. And darn it, he was too late to save Lawrence. I, I literally have the note of, can Lawrence die already, please? And then my sub note is, ask and ye shall receive. 
because like a minute <laughs> after I wrote that note, he died. And then the doctor comes in. <laughs> he's like, "Well, I discovered the f- cure." He's like, "Is that Lawrence?" Well, anyway, I have the cure. Is that Lawrence? <laughs> Gross. Anyway. <laughs> I'm a little unclear as to what the Silurian's third eye thing is because I was in the impression that it, it like created like an audio signal that like resonated with their technology and uh, was the thing that they used to control the dinosaur and everything. Apparently it's a heat laser beam. (laughs) 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 They also use the eye to like, like frazzle the doctor and like paralyze him i thought it was like an audio thing well and don't they use it to kill the guys in the caves too i thought there were like unit soldiers down there and like they appear around the corner and go there and the soldiers just die i don't know it's very inconsistent as to what the fuck this third eye thing is because then he just uses it as like a high concentration flamethrower to burn through the walls in order to get to the doctor and i'm like dude it's called a door you don't need to burn <laughs> through the walls. Well, thanks. Now I'm going to have to get that fixed. And then we're in episode seven, where I have probably the most number of compliments and complaints in this entire story. <laughs> <laughs> episode seven. The doctor isn't dead, but he has been captured by the Silurians. The Silurians need the Silotron to keep reanimating their people, and he agrees to help them turn the generator on. When the Silurians return with the Doctor, he convinces Unit to stand down and let him work. Liz tells the Brigadier to trust, to trust that the Doctor has a plan. After turning the generator back on, the Silurians seal the humans in the room to die as the radiation ramps up. Luckily, the Doctor knows how to do everything, and he and his sweet tattoo tinker around to make the reactor stop. The Doctor heads down to the caves and is confronted by the Silurians, or THE Silurian, who has put all his comrades to sleep for another 50 years. Stuart shows up and shoots the Silurian just in time before it kills the Doctor. The Doctor wants the area cordoned off so he can research the Silurian technology. But the moment he and Liz step away, (laughs) Stuart blows it all to hell. The Doctor is pissed, but the episode ends. And then the third eye just remade the wall that it tore down. What the fuck do these third eyes (laughs) do? It doesn't make any sense. Silurians confuse me. They confuse and anger me. <laughs> it's almost like I want them to be genocided. <laughs> now I get it. Now I'm on board. <laughs> I have a note that says bureaucracy strikes again, but I don't. Oh, yeah, because they're having like a lot of difficulties arranging for a quarantine because they need to like get some paperwork and put in triplicate in order to have them stationed at certain places and like to shut down airports and stuff and i'm like well death by bureaucracy i always knew this is gonna be what killed humanity (laughs) i do really like that liz has been uh on the doctor's side the whole time like her her opinion on silurians is whatever the doctor says uh but then the doctor is kidnapped and then liz is on board with attacking the silurians that was an interesting little character moment well yeah she's gotta protect the doctor because if the doctor's not around, who's going to tell her what to do? That, and he's the only one around here who can actually maintain a conversation with me. I have only military men to talk to if he leaves. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Silurians capture him, are going to make him repower up the generator so they can keep reviving their people with the cyclotron or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he shows up and convinces Unit to not shoot them, which is something I will bring up later. The Silurians, like, bust down the doors into the reactor room and then just, like, instantly shoot one of the, uh, one of the scientists. And the doctor said, I said there was to be no more killing! And, <laughs> and some note is, sorry, force of habit, won't happen again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, is that what you said? Okay, okay, starting now. Ooh, sorry, I totally misheard you. I don't have ears, so... Yeah, that's my bad, I apologize. And then they walk into another room and kill another guy, and the doctor's literally like, what the fuck did I just say? That was my B. I'm sorry, I jumped the gun. I apologize. Man, there's something really weird about seeing the doctor in a t-shirt. Yeah, especially with his sweet snake tattoo. He has a sweet, sweet tattoo. Yeah. Then the doctor, like, ramps up the energy and said that it's going to 
blow the building and the Silurian base to Kingdom Come. And um, they're like, ah, shit, we need to retreat. And the Silurians go back down. And the uh, Brigadier and Liz were like, you did it, Doctor. That was a great bluff. And the Doctor is like, bluff? <laughs> we all gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I, I thought that was a good moment. I, thought, I was like, that was a great bluff. He's like, yes, a bluff. I definitely didn't actually do that. <laughs> Pay no attention to the fact that I am now desperately going to be pulling cords out of this machine. <laughs> So the Silurians go back down, and their plan is to hibernate again for 50 years. I'm not sure why they decided to do that. I'm not positive. I think it was just like a way to protect them, I think. But why 50 years? Why not, like, 20 minutes? (laughs) I think because they were, like, the humans would have moved on, or I don't know. They were probably going to try to, like, surprise the humans after 50 years. Haha, you forgot about us, didn't you? But uh, I think we need to address the most important thing that's happened here. There's a character in unit named Corporal Nutting. (laughs) That poor man. (laughs) I miss that. Yeah. um, The Brigadier has a command for Corporal Nutting. Oh, no, that's right. That's the guy at the end where he's like, all right. (laughs) Like, once the doctor leaves, he's like, all right, Corporal Nutting, go set the charges. It's like time to blow your nut. (laughs) <laughs> we're about to bust a nut sir it's the third time today can we please <laughs> say, sir can we please stop saying that <laughs> going back it's just a just a tidbit before we get to the part where nuts get blown the young sailor goes down cryogenically freezes all his people again waits for the doctor to arrive basically just to kill him i think and then Probably the first and only time Lethbridge Stewart has done something I liked and will defend him on this forever. He just shows up and starts blasting. I mean, that Silurian specifically has proven that he is not going to cooperate with humanity. So, like, I'm on board with putting that one down. It's amazing. It's almost like violence works. The, The doctor's plan is, okay, so we will... I'm going to study the technology here to try and figure out how to thaw these uh, Silurians, and we will we'll wake them up a couple at a time and like explain the situation to them and try our best to like slowly start establishing a peace with this other culture. And the doctor's like, "This is going to be a bright this bright future for humanity," and uh, <laughs> and the brigadier's like, "Yes, yes, it is." All right, time to bust a nut, Corporal. (laughs) (laughs) Now, I know it's a running theme now that I defend or support genocide of aliens. I'm not saying I defend it here, but I'm saying from Lethbridge Stewart's perspective, I understand. (laughs) Because Stewart's only interaction with the Silurians has been biological warfare, being locked in a generator room and being left to die of radiation poisoning and then shooting that one bad one. I don't think he should have blown up the base, but maybe while they were looking around and coring off and coring off the area, maybe just accidentally unplug some cryogenic tanks. Done and done. We get the technology and we commit the genocide. And we didn't have to blow it up. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the things that I think is strongest about this story is that each of the characters have their own unique positions and you understand where they're coming from even if you don't fully agree with it except for dr lawrence who is anti-vaxxer scum gets got and and then he dies and gets what comes to him so um i will say that the ending of this story is probably one of the moments that stuck with me the most in the entire doctor who series just like the fact that the doctor is so hopeful for um for humanity moving forward and then he and liz are driving away and he just sees the huge explosion in the distance and just like has this this moment of like that was murder most of them were asleep and didn't even know that anything was going on you just you just killed a shit ton of innocent people because a couple of them attacked you it's one of those gut punches because, like, this is a net loss for the Doctor, and I'm not sure we've really had one of those. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely one of those times where like he like unequivocally like failed at what he was trying to do. <laughs> yes, and I, I'm I'm trying to think of an episode where that happened before, and I don't think we've had one. There was a, there was the Aztecs where where Barbara didn't get what she wanted. That's about the closest I think we've got. But the Doctor did get what he wanted, which yeah. was to prove you can't interfere with time and leave. I do have one question though. So is humanity dead now? <laughs> we did not take care of that uh, that epidemic thing. And I'm kind of concerned about that. That was not resolved at all. Mac, that's a problem for the next story. We found the cure. And then the doctor was kidnapped. And that's the last we heard of it. Like, they found a cure, yes. But it has spread through all of London. And international flights have gone. <laughs> they're not going to be able to get this cure as spread out as they need to as fast as they need to so oops i guess oops we lost anyways roll credits <laughs> when i said earlier that there's an entire subplot that could have been removed and we would have lost nothing it was that if we had removed the the chemical warfare part and just had the the tense political uh situation political and military situation between the humans and the Serlarians without having the entire following masters and then wiping out a third of London and all that jazz. I feel like this episode would have been stronger. That's my personal opinion. I think we could have lost that and we could have lost the caveman nonsense. Yes, and the caveman nonsense, that didn't go anywhere. And frankly, we probably could have just cut Lawrence out as a character entirely. I think between those three cuts, we would have had four episodes. But yes, uh, trivia. Uh, this is one of ten episodes in the entire series that does not feature the TARDIS at all. Ooh. Three, fun fact, three of those ten episodes are third Doctor episodes. <laughs> wow. The ones where he's not in the TARDIS at all? I know. Crazy. I mean, like, it doesn't even show the TARDIS. Like, not even outside or anything. Like, does not make an appearance. The story was originally, in the first draft, it was going to end with the Doctor saddened by the loss of knowledge that the Silurians possessed. But then producer Barry Letts was like, his first act as producer was to change the ending so that he was more disgusted by the murder of the innocents rather than, oh man, they probably had some good books. Fair. While filming the ending explosion, a small grass fire was ignited in the field. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, final thoughts. It was fine. It, it was just one of those like, eh. I I really liked this episode. I I enjoyed how the entire cast had realistic, understand and understandable goals and motivations. I do really really love the ending. That being said, like half of the story could have been cut. That's probably its biggest its biggest issue is that there was just so much stuff that was focused on and didn't go anywhere. Yeah, I think that's the problem I'm really running into right now. Is like I feel like the show has finally figured out how to make four episode bangers, mm-hmm. and even the occasional six episode banger. So why the fuck do we keep going longer than that? Who is doing this? I'm guessing that they're going to be that they realize that you are absolutely correct, Caleb, because this season is the last time there's ever in any episodes that are longer than six. Good. <laughs> God damn. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. They cracked the code. They cracked the code a long time ago. Why do they keep trying to not do that? Because we could have multiple codes, Caleb. We just gotta, we just gotta work it. You know, we have the one code that works. You got the four and six code. That's it. That's the code. Uh, any more thoughts? I really do not like the Silurian design. I do kind of, I did kind of like the moral dilemma of it because I feel like. The show up until this point has always been like, well, no, this genocide is okay, but violence at overall is bad. Unless they're these aliens, genocide those guys. Whereas I felt like there was like an actual moral dilemma here where like, I don't feel like Lethbridge Stewart really makes a case for why genociding the Silurians is good, but I feel like the moral implication or the moral dilemma is there. Yeah. And I like that. I like the almost philo- philosophical ramifications of the actions of the episode mm-hmm. uh, i would like to see more of that i don't think i will or at least in a very interesting way but <laughs> i think you might be surprised well we shall see but yeah but overall like thematically i like it i don't like the silurian design it's entirely too fucking long 
uh, Liz kept getting sidelined when she's the best character. <laughs> she really is. Well, that's it for this episode, guys. Thanks for listening. If you want to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is give it five stars and tell your friends about it. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, you know, all the major podcast things. If you want to follow us, you can follow us on Twitter at QuickTripDW. You can also follow me on Twitter at CelebrityWriter. And you can check out Mac's YouTube channel, Mac the Math, where he does insightful videos about video games. And join us next time on a quick trip through space and time in which we go on our first adventure in space without the TARDIS in The Ambassadors of Death. That sounds cool.